Welcome to episode 88 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers. That means we love looking up the nighttime sky. And this podcast is for anybody else who likes to go out under the stars and look up. I hope you're not going to leave me hanging this time. Shane, how was your week? <laughs> it was good, Chris. <laughs> well, you know, good on a personal level, not so good on an, on an astronomy level. Um, but it is what it is. Um, you know, the, the weather this year... I don't know if it's just me, but the, the astronomical aspect of our winter weather this year just seems like the worst ever, uh, mm -hmm. possibly in my lifetime. Um, I don't remember um, like a, a long extended period like this where we really have not had a cloudless night. Like yeah. um, it's been weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks. And yeah. I don't know what's up. Um, you know, and even our extended forecast I think next Sunday is looking pretty good right now, but it's also going to be negative 28 degrees Celsius that night. So, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if we'll be outside. We've been completely locked out for January for all intents and purposes, really. I mean, and, and to be frank this week, I don't think I saw a star. I could kind of see the moon last night. Um, I mean, there was like cloud, but like thin cloud mm -hmm. over the whole sky. Like you couldn't see a star. You mm -hmm. could see the moon and you could actually see like the Mare and stuff like that. But other than that, I mean, that was like the only thing I could see. And it was, uh, yeah. And then the fog moved in, which yeah. we typically don't get. So, uh, yeah, this is, this is bad. Like I've never seen a month, a, a month here without clear skies is, is rare. This is generally a, a fairly clear place. So. Yeah. The only explanation is somebody in our province must have purchased an awful lot of new astronomy gear oh, to bring in I, all these clouds. I don't, I don't <laughs> like that. I don't like that saying where people say that you have like that new scope <laughs> curse because, uh, yeah, but I did. Uh, anyway, we, we can get on to, to what we're doing with our own gear. But, uh, you know, one of, one of the, you know, one of the neat things that, that's happened with this podcast, Shane, is that we, we talked about this as a, as a potential, like in the winter, it can be very cold. And even mm -hmm. when it's clear, it can be difficult to do too much observing and, and sort of anticipating that we set up some contingencies. We hadn't anticipated that we would actually get an entire month where we couldn't do any astronomy at all. Um, but one of the interesting and, and a little bit unanticipated things that's happened is that uh, people have been submitting their observations to us and... Uh, <laughs> And it's great. So we've had some, some people submit them by uh, audio and most people send an email or a tweet or something. And, uh, and it, you know, it, it's really neat because again, like we're not uh, professional astronomers, we're just doing this for the love of it. Um, but if we're clad out and people send us their observations um, or, you know, and, and, or, and often we'll just read the observations anyway, but we have, we do have a really, really great, um, eyepiece review and, and observations here to, to read from, uh, from Larry. Yeah. Yeah. So Larry and well, oh, a few podcasts ago, I mentioned that I'm getting into some Kellner eyepieces and testing them out and, and just seeing how like this old, old school design, very minimalist design. There's only three elements in a Kellner. Uh, I was curious how it would compare to just some of the more modern complex eyepieces. Um, and then after that episode, Larry reached out and, and we had some correspondence about Kellners and, uh, he read the cloudy nights, uh, thread that Bill Paoloni started around, uh, how impressed he was with the star base Kellners. 
Um, and then uh, Larry ended up purchasing a Starbase 25. And yeah, really cool report um, that I enjoyed reading. And I think, uh, you know, I think uh, a lot of other people will enjoy hearing uh, some aspects of this too. Yeah. Oh, uh, and did, speak. I gotta, I gotta jump in and say, speaking yeah. of, of Bill and his, his great, uh, I've, I've never talked to the guy, but I feel like I kind of know him in a way because I've read, uh, a lot of his work on, on Claudia Knights and, and other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was actually on the observer's notebook, which is another podcast, um, talking about, uh, planetary filters, uh, oh, recently. Cool. I don't, I don't know if he caught that. I think it was last week. Um, no, no, I didn't. I'll have to check that out. How? Yeah. Uh, might be two weeks ago. Do- yeah, really good, really great. Like you know, and he's he's uh, an interesting um, observer, and uh, you know, and, and sort of I really like the mix of his um, both like sort of hands-on practical reviews of the equipment uh, mixed in with his like observing, and he's just kind of an interesting person to to listen to. Um, yeah, so I think uh, I think if people want to check out uh, another good podcast, like for sure, the Observer's Notebook. Um, you know, it's different from this podcast, but it's not like worlds apart. You know, it's about uh, sort of more of the practical uh, observing and uh, they just have a slightly different take. And I, I think it's great. You know, I, I think people should uh, should listen to that, too, if they're looking for other really good astronomy podcasts. Yeah, that one's an awesome one. Is that the there? That's the Elpo one, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's the Elpo one. And yeah. Observers. Yeah. 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 yeah, not to be confused with the dog food company, but it's way, yeah, yeah it, it, all joking aside, it's a really, really good podcast um, for sure. Uh, just before we get right into layers, I'm just going to mention uh, something about his uh, observing report and, and review. And that is that, and it's funny because I was really thinking about this book uh, a lot last night because I'm working on another project. And uh, he had his eyepieces lined up on his copy of the Cambridge Photographic Atlas. Um, by Mellinger and Ronald Stoyan. And that is, I really, really love that book. I think in the, in the past, anyway, I found that a lot of photographic sort of astronomy related um, texts or attempts at atlases uh, haven't worked as well, in my opinion, anyway, for what that's worth. But this one is really, really good. I think the way that they, the way that they did it. And uh, often when I go observing, that's what I take. And yeah. I should probably get another copy because I've really trashed mine in the, I kind of wish they had made it um, a little bit more field friendly. That's my only real critique. Yeah. Of it. I think other yeah. than that, they did a great job. Yeah. It, it is more of a desk, like made for sort of viewing in house or indoors, like on your desktop. Um, but it is outstanding. And, you know, I think if you want to get a second one, you probably should jump on it because, you know, you remember the, the, uh, the photographic, moon atlas that cambridge put out oh yeah you and i have copies of that that we probably paid like 40 or 50 dollars for when it was in print and now you can't find it and it's like 350 dollars so is it really yet yeah just you know another example of these astronomy books that when they when they go out of print and all of the supply dries up uh, the prices go through the roof you know so i gotta check because you just have to buy it i do have a photographic atlas of the moon i don't know if it's that one or not um okay but uh but, but if, if it is, maybe, maybe I will sell mine and uh, there's some other stuff I'm looking at getting. But anyway, um, yeah, shall we get on to, uh, to where's Larry uh, located? Uh, Larry have it there? is somewhere in Japan, I believe, if I remember correctly. And if I, okay. if I got that wrong, Larry, my apologies. But uh, yeah, I think it's Japan. 
Yeah, I thought I thought so as well. And uh, so he passed along his observing notes for the Starbase. Now, Star isn't St- I think Starbase is like a big store in uh, in Tokyo. I think there's like the Starbase, and that's kind of where you one one of the places where you go to buy astronomical equipment. Um, it, it could be, yeah. And and Starbase was contracted by Takahashi to produce that eighty millimeter Acromat. Right. Um, and then Starbase produced. Uh, two or three orthoscopic eyepieces, two, two were packaged with that Starbase 80. Um, and then they also produced two Kellners, a 25 and a 20 millimeter, um, kind of all, I think, around the same time. Um, the two Kellners, I think they retail for $39.95 US dollars, yeah. brand new. Yeah. And just like everything else in the hobby, um, you know, I think if you want one right now, you're, you're going to be waiting. I'm not sure there's stock of these things, at least in North America. I don't think there's stock uh, anywhere, which is yeah, unfortunate. We were, yeah, we were talking about that before the podcast here that uh, seems like everything is, is getting uh, snapped up, you know, and it, including like my course, which typically I think was, was waning down to single digits, which I'm still happy, happy to do as long as there's some sort of audience, but it was getting pretty small. And now mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, uh, for almost four dozen people, um, joining over, over the internet. So, uh, so definitely there's been a, a, a resurgence in the interest of astronomy and, and probably, you know, I've noticed this as well, when we have a bright comment, like we did with Neowise, mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of just sort of poured gasoline on, on probably what was a smoldering fire already. Cause I think you and I were chatting with Stefan back in the spring about, uh, about the, the, you know, bit of equipment shortage, uh, before Neowise. And then, uh, once Neowise came, came around, it was just, it was just game over, you know, everybody's just yeah. buying, buying everything. This reminds me of something out of the Simpsons, right? <laughs> like really we're living in a time where people just can't buy enough telescopes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Neowise, um, and then the Great Conjunction in December, you know, that got a lot of media attention. And, uh, you know, just this isolation, people stuck at home, they're looking for new things to do. um, And putting a telescope up in your backyard, you know, has become uh, kind of an interest, I think, for a lot of people. So supply demand, it's a problem. Yeah. So let's talk about this uh, Starbase 25 millimeter Kellner. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm interested oh, in this. I was interested yeah. in these eyepieces. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. So Larry starts off here just to give it some context. He says, uh, I spent about two and a half hours over three sessions comparing the Starbase 25 millimeter Kellner, uh, to my Vixen 20 millimeter NLV and my Celestron zoom set at 24 millimeters. Um, said it's been a really fun experience and I've been so focused on double stars lately and in particular hard to split tight pairs that I've kind of forgotten how different things look at lower powers, kind Mm. of like, uh, how, or kind of like, you know, lost the forest for the trees and we'll get into more of the details of his observing report, but I really, I really enjoyed the, um, kind of going up and down the magnification chart and then just how the view changed. So we'll get into that here in a, a few minutes, probably. Yeah. Um, and one of the things he said though, um, is that the eyepiece was, was pretty small. That's not really surprising, you know, knowing that it's uh that it's a Kellner and these tend to be uh, somewhat smaller. Like you were saying, they don't have as many elements and then the other thing that I thought was interesting is he said that the, the previous owner, so he had, he had purchased this used and, you know, definitely we buy used equipment. I got, 
you know, a really expensive used IP sitting right in front of me here. And, uh, you know, on my left side, I got a, I got some used books and I have a used uh, binocular adapter. And uh, we, we both certainly uh, have a good mix of, of new and, and used equipment. Um, but he said the previous owner had uh, flocked the barrel because yeah. it was not uh, blackened originally. So that was kind of interesting to hear. Yeah, I've never heard of somebody flocking an eyepiece uh, barrel, but it makes sense if, you know, some eyepiece barrels are kind of shiny. Mm -hmm. um, what I've done, like what I've found on some eyepieces is uh, like the threads where you would uh, screw in a filter. Uh, sometimes those are left unpainted. Yeah. Um, so I'll just like, I have some matte black paint that I'll just delicately apply to those rings um, just to darken them up. Uh, I'm always, yeah, so I'm always worried with that of, of, cause I do use uh, planetary filters. I'm always worried that I'm going to be chipping off the paint. So what yeah, I do yeah. is not as good as that, but it helps. And that's that I take just like a permanent marker mm -hmm. and I, and I just go around like to take the shine right off them. And yeah. then I'll kind of go one way and then I'll leave it sit for a few hours. Then I'll go the other way. I'll let it sit for a couple of days. I'll do it. I'll do that four or five times just over mm -hmm. the course of a week. And then, by that point, it's like just dulled right down. So not as good as black paint would be, but it, uh, it, it takes that real bright reflection off, like when you're observing the moon or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that'll make a real difference. You know, interesting side note is uh, the TMB Supermonos, <clears throat> as we've discussed many times, extremely well regarded for like high contrast, high detail um, views. They, like the bottom part of those barrels where you would install a filter are you know, chrome, like there's no black on them at all, mm. which uh, just kind of an interesting side note that, um, you know, they're considered to be, you know, upper echelon, but even those ones don't have any blackening there, which is weird. But well, anyway. it, it would depend on the light cone too, right? So if the light cone mm. isn't striking it, then it's no problem. Less of an issue, you know. Yeah. So might, might not be a problem with those, but you know, if, if I have an IP out and I'm noticing it, I, I did buy an inexpensive Plossel, um for my nephew before Christmas and I went through this on it. Cool. So back to the, the review of the Starbase. So the very edge of the Starbase, so this is again, Larry's notes, uh, the very edge of the Starbase seemed a touch muddy, uh, but the field stop was well-defined. Um, I did not see any distortion at the field edge when stars or doubles drifted out to the field of view. Uh, but then again, uh, my scope is an F11. So F11 certainly is an ideal telescope for like a, a, a Kellner or even a, like a Huygens. Um, the, the issue with these old eyepieces, because there's only three elements, is, is they don't correct, uh, you know, field or edge distortions, particularly in faster telescopes. Um, but if you're using a slower focal length like this one, then, you know, they're usually quite crisp all the way to the edge. Yeah. I was really, I was interested that he, he talked about uh, comparing it to the NLV and, okay. uh, and now that eyepiece, those eyepieces are out of production now. They're, they were made in Japan. I think the NLV uh, brand or, or, or uh, model is still made, but it's different. And uh, the original uh, replacements to the original NLV had, had some reflection uh, issues like we were talking about. I think they eventually fixed them. But those original ones from Japan, like he included in his photo, are supposed to be just phenomenal eyepieces. They have a slightly smaller field of view, I think like, 45 to 50 degrees or something like that. But apart from that, they're supposed to be uh, really, really excellent eyepieces. So he's, he's using a good, uh, 
you know, a, a good eyepiece to kind of make a comparison against, I think. Okay. That's good to yeah. know. So next uh, little bit of the report here is I didn't see any hugely noticeable differences in color between the three eyepieces, but sometimes the fainter stars just seem to pop a little more in the star base and become hmm. more noticeable. This was true even when comparing the views in the 25, uh, so the 25 star base and the zoom set to 24 millimeters, which would have very similar exit pupils. Um, you know, and I, I appreciated that aspect of the report because that's, you know, the, the difference between like, you know, say, uh, you know, a complex eyepiece or, you know, some of these more high contrast eyepieces, you know, you can't expect the sky to look completely different through say a Kellner or even like a TMB super mono, but where they start to stand out is on the, you know, often with the subtleties, you know, you like some background stars just appear a little brighter. Yeah. Um, so the, the first observing note that he has here is first light was a quick look at Arcard or Ackard in Cassia, Cassiopeia, uh, have gotten so used to looking at doubles at a hundred plus power that I've forgotten how small 12 arc minutes is. Hmm. Uh, Ackard was so tight to, with the star base at 36 times that I almost couldn't split it. Uh, but I was able to see a little purple dot hanging there next to the big milky one. Um, and then with the NLV at 46 times, the secondary was more obvious, but this was due to the higher power, overall brightness, uh, or contrast between the views, or not much of a difference in overall brightness or contrast between the two. Now, this next observation here that he's got in is what really intrigues me. Um, so my second target was Struve 254, also known as WZ Cassiopeia. Uh, the NLV20 showed the primary to be a bright, intense orange red. Uh, and the secondary to be a faint medium blue, uh, indigo by my eyes. Uh, the eye relief of the star base is fine and seems to be similar to the NLV. Uh, both stars, especially the primary, seem brighter uh, and to have uh, a more blue, or sorry, a more intense hue. But this just may be difference, or due to the difference in the exit pupil. Um, the field of view was not much bigger, but the extra bit of field seemed to frame the binary better Hmm. gave a little more context. Now here's what I love. More interesting is that I noticed a line of dimmer stars to the right and below the hmm. primary. They hadn't registered in the NLV 20, but they stood out in the star base. Interesting. Um, in, yeah. In the NLV 20, they seemed more like random background stars while in the star base, they became a distinct pattern. Hmm. Maybe they were brighter in the star base, but they weren't dim in the NLV 20. And when I looked again, the line was there just not as a parent. Huh. And uh, I can say that I've had experiences like that where you go back and forth with eyepieces comparing them and, you know, something will just stand out in one eyepiece versus another. And, you know, you go back, back and forth, back and forth. And it's not like, you know, these, these features or these stars, they're, they're visible in both eyepieces. It's just some eyepieces show things a little bit better. And, hmm. um, you know, I don't know, like the NLV, I, I don't know how many elements are in that eyepiece. I'm guessing it's probably like a four or five element eyepiece. Would that be I think it'd at least be five or, or so. It, it, yeah, something like that, but a minimum of five. Yeah, so a little more glass, um, probably, you know, some groupings there for some uh, potential for more um, like glass to air surfaces. So maybe it's the design, maybe it's the coatings. There's, you know, there could be a lot of things at play here, but very interesting, yeah. I thought. Yeah. Um, 
he goes on to uh, quote a little bit of Bill Paoloni's um, uh, posting in that Kellner thread on cloudy nights. So uh, he, uh, Larry put in here, uh, Bill Paoloni noted a similar experience. Now this is in quotes uh, for what Bill had posted. Uh, At times I was feeling that the background sky was a little starker or darker in the starbase as an overt impression, but could not nail it down as so, uh, as so more critical, I'm guessing here as, as more critical observing is required. Uh, Mm -hmm. So interesting that it gave that initial impression at first glance. Um, So then Larry goes on to say too here in all fairness and in full disclosure, Uh, When I revisited 254 and 457 a couple nights later and compared the views of the NLV-20, the 24-millimeter zoom, and the Starbase, the differences were not as pronounced in the line of stars, and the views between the three eyepieces were quite similar. Mm -hmm. However, on the same night, I noticed the effect again. Uh, The Starbase showing brighter stars or more contrast with the background when observing uh, Miram in uh, Perseus. Now, you know, some of these subtle differences too in eyepieces can be impacted by just the seeing conditions, uh, you know, in a particular part of the sky. Um, you know, oftentimes to see some of these subtle differences, you'll, you'll need good to above average or above good seeing conditions to start to, you know, see some of this stuff appearing. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's really interesting. I'm just thinking, um, I mean, I can't remember if we said at the start of this, but Larry is using a, I think it's an 81 millimeter Vixen of, I want to say F77 or F8 or something like that. Well, um, he mentioned it's like F11. And F, oh, is it F11? I think it's actually a 70 millimeter, but again, I, I'd have to go back and look at some okay. of the correspondence we've had. Anyway, him. so it's, it's a small three-ish inch uh, telescope. Yes. You know, yeah. there, there won't be massive differences, whether it's a 70 F11 or uh, an 80 uh, F8 or whatever. That, basically not not a world of difference uh interesting interesting yeah, observations yeah. there yeah he also oh, sent oh. us some observations of the moon eh? yes yeah do you want to dig into that i actually don't have that in my note i oh, uh, okay i just put the review of the eyepiece in but i'm i'm enjoying uh you going through these <laughs> okay yeah well well let me continue i'll, I'll get to the yeah moon. I, I want to talk about one more double that he observed sure. um it's all mac and what I like about this one is uh, this is the varying of magnifications. So started with the zoom, uh, 24 millimeters. So that's 38 times in his telescope. Uh, clearly split. Uh, primary was a, a bright, intense yellow. Secondary, a small average white star. Uh, and then in, in just in adding to that, surprising that the color was not apparent here. Because all Mac is a pretty colorful pairing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so next up is the star base. So... Uh, a little bit less magnification, 36 times. Uh, he said the two stars are touching, uh, brightness and color similar to the 24. Okay. So now moving on to the NLV 20. So now magnifications increased to 46 times, uh, shows hint of pale green in the secondary. Um, now star base 25 borrowed two times Barlow. So, um, and actually he mentioned too, that it, he has a, it's a two times Barlow, I think, but, mm-hmm. uh, the star base actually comes in at like 1.9 when, uh, when used with the Barlow. So, uh, magnification is now 68 times, uh, clear split here, uh, primary bright, pale yellow, secondary, bright, pale green. 
uh, in the notes, interesting that the higher magnification has dimmed down the primary a bit and made the color in the secondary more apparent. Um, so then the zoom at 12 ish millimeters, uh, very similar view, no significant differences. So I love, I love the usage of different magnifications here on the same object and just how it changes, you know, and, and I get, uh, I kind of get stuck sometimes when I'm observing of just like the convenience factor of leaving one eyepiece in the diagonal and just, that's it, you know, I'll use that for the whole night. But, hmm. um, you know, this is a great reminder for myself just to, you know, experiment with different magnifications and, and different powers or, or even uh, different eyepieces on uh, the same object just to see how it changes. And, and what's neat with some of these doubles is not only, you know, obviously the, the separation change, um, but like you can tease out different colors, um, which a lot of the objects you're looking at in the sky, you know, that's just not going to happen. All right, we'll finish up here with the moon. Um, so using the Starbase 25, uh, nicely framed in the eyepiece, filled but with room to spare on the sides. Uh, there seemed to be some chromatic aberration, uh, so some purple around the upper third and yellow around the remaining two thirds. Uh, but I was viewing it early in the evening uh, as everywhere else was hidden uh, by clouds and it was quite low in the sky and simmering at the edges. Um, there was no distortion that I could notice as the moon moved out of the field of view and no internal reflections or scatter that I could, uh, notice. Uh, the view seemed as sharp at the edge of the field of view as it did center axis. And there was no discernible differences, uh, between the views with the Starbase 25 and the zoom 24. If anything, I had the feeling that the Starbase 25 was giving a bit more sharpness and pop to features, uh, like Tycho's rays. And uh, that's it. Uh, Larry included a few photos, as, as you noted, uh, mm. Chris, of, of uh, all of these eyepieces. Um, yeah, it was you know, interesting. I, interesting to see them lined up there. Yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I love the just the aesthetics of the Starbase. You know, it has that's that right. sort of volcano top, and it just to me it looks like a proper classic eyepiece. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said you paid eighteen dollars for Earth. I'm not sure if that's 18 American dollars or Canadian dollars or Japanese yens, or I'm guessing it wouldn't be 18 Japanese yens. I think would be incredibly yeah. inexpensive. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, it was, uh, anyway, really appreciate that observing report, uh, Larry. It was uh, definitely a highlight for us. Uh, instead of staring uh, at the clouds at the window, we were able to kind of observe vicariously through you a bit. So really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was great and, and keep sending them and, and that's kind of a note for anybody too. If you have an observing report that you'd like to share, we'd love to read it. Um, you know, it, it definitely helps during these, these cloudy, unobservable nights that uh, we're having here. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, really, really appreciate it. And certainly we get others and uh, look forward to reading those in the future. But the moon is a, is a bit of a segue there, I think, Shane, because you said you made one observation. I was, I was shocked. Was that yeah. last night? No, it was, uh, I think it was Thursday night, Thursday or oh, Friday. Oh, I can't yeah, remember. there was, yeah. yeah, there was like a brief spell where it was clear and extremely cold. Well, and, and I missed that spell. Um, I caught the moon. It was kind of rising. It was probably up about 20 to 30 degrees. It was cloudy, um, but not like not super cloudy. Like you could still just see some real general, um, you know, differences, I guess, in, in some of the coloration or the, I guess the darkness or the shading on the surface mm -hmm. of the moon, just with the eyes. So, um, 
you know, it was not a good night to do any real observing, but I had just purchased uh, some eyepieces that are new to me. They are used. Um, and I wanted to test them out. I had the mini Borg. So my 50 millimeter, uh, on a tripod upstairs, just kind of by the back door. Do you have a um, photo of this? Can you put a photo of that up on the website or something? Cause yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to see that if I want to see it, probably people would like to see it too. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I'll post that up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the new eyepieces that I got is a uh, 15 millimeter Teleview delight. I've always been intrigued by these eyepieces. Um, you know, good eye relief for guys like you and I, Chris, that need to wear eyeglasses. Um, what are you talking about? I have perfect vision. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 62 degree field of view. Now that's not huge by any stretch of the imagination, but for a guy that became very used to 30 degree fields mm -hmm. of view with the TMB super monos, mm -hmm. these are like ultra wide fields to me. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I wanted to see what the, how, just how comfortable the delight was. And, uh, so I stuck it in the mini Borg. I didn't feel like going outside, um, you know, because it was just, it was not good conditions. So I was looking through a window through the cloud. And, um, it, it was, it was a really nice view. Actually. I was, I was kind of pleased with the delight. Um, I'm looking forward to using it a lot more, but what was kind of neat was, you know, the cloud obscured a lot of the brightness of the moon and actually added almost sort of a yellowish hue to it. Um, but I'm going to mess this up. I'm sure Aristar, how do you say that? Aristar Aristarchus? Aristarchus. Aristarchus. There we go. And, and the only reason why I know how to pronounce a lot of the lunar features is not because I'm a lunar observer much at all. Um, although I have, you can see Aristarchus naked eye. I've done mm. naked eye lunar observing mostly. Um, is that I, I think Aristarchus was like an early, more philosopher than, than mm. anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what was neat, you know, with the, mute, with the moon mostly muted by the clouds, uh, Aristarchus looked like a light, like it was like so bright, you know, it was like piercing through the clouds. Mm. Um, it was just sort of a neat little observation with everything else sort of toned down. It seemed like that was still piercing through all of the, you know, the mess in the sky. Um, so anyway, that was like a four minute observation. And that's all of the astronomy that I've done in, I don't know, since uh, December 20th, maybe. <laughs> yeah pretty pretty much you you've been selling some gear here you you and i appreciate this you offered some of this to me um first and, uh, and i took a long breath and was like oh that would be interesting but uh i've kind of got some other things on on my schedule so so you sold off some things do you want to just say what uh, what you sold and why yeah so i've sold uh well i've been trying to sell forever uh a teleview gibraltar five mount uh and tripod and finally are, sold it those are pretty good. I was surprised you sold that. Well, it is a nice mount and tripod, um, it, like ex exceptionally smooth on both axes. Uh, the tripod is uh, very rigid, um, extends quite tall, has a nice eyepiece tray. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the thing I don't like about it is it, it's really only good to me um, at low to maybe medium power. Um, and even at medium power, the vibration was, was fairly noticeable, um, oh, okay. uh, while focusing. So originally I had bought that to mate with my Teleview Genesis SDF, which is a uh, four inch refractor. Um, That's a nice scope. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And there was a lot of people online that said the Gibraltar five is a nice pairing with that. Mm -hmm. And it is for like, 
there's there's probably no better mount on the market, in my opinion, for panning uh, than this Gibraltar mount. You know, it has a nice yep. little handle and it is just so delightful to use for that purpose. But I just, I struggle to have a mount that is only usable at low powers. Like it's yeah. such a specific use case yeah. um, that I just wasn't using it. Um, I would yeah. rather use any of my other ones. So anyway, that sold. Um, it was just taking up space. Um, and then I decided, and this was kind of a hard decision, actually, is I decided to start listing some of my uh, 0.965 inch eyepieces. I've, I've, you know, I put together a fairly respectable set and um, I'm just not using them. So yeah, uh, I decided to sell my Takahashi. Uh, I have two Takahashi high orthos. Um, so a 2.8 millimeter and a four millimeter. Um, what's neat about these high orthos is uh, like they use, um, I think like a Smythe Barlow or something in there yep. uh, to do two things. One, achieve the high power, but two, uh, to provide you more eye relief than what say a normal 2.8 ortho would give you or a normal yeah. four, like a, like a normal four millimeter ortho would probably be like, I don't know, three millimeters of eye relief. Yeah. Um, and I think this high ortho bumps that up to like six, five or six yeah. millimeters, which still isn't a lot, but when you're talking of numbers that small, that's a huge increase. Yeah. Um, so they're actually quite comfortable to use given the, uh, the focal lengths. And, um, in the early two thousands, Thomas Back had posted online that he felt the 2.8 millimeter was the finest ultra high, uh, high power planetary eyepiece, uh, ever made. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've used them, they're outstanding. Um, the reason for selling the 2.8 is that's just so much power, <laughs> you know, it, it just wasn't getting used a lot. Plus mm -hmm. I have purchased the, uh, the Vixen HRs. So I have the 2.4 millimeter and the three millimeter Vixen HR, which kind of made the 2.8 tack, um, you know, redundant. Um, and then on the four millimeter side, uh, I have a TMB super mono, um, and I just found that I was using that. So, you know, if these eyepieces aren't going to be used by me, they should be used by somebody else. So yeah, uh, the 2.8 is sold. Uh, the 4.0 is still uh, available, should sell soon, I'm sure. Um, and then the 10 millimeter Takahashi LE, I decided to post as well. Um, you know, reasons for selling this, again, I have a, a 10 millimeter Super Mono which I love. Um, and then I recently acquired, um, I mentioned the 15 millimeter delight, but I also acquired a nine millimeter delight. Um, so again, this one just is becoming redundant. Yeah. Um, so reason for selling this stuff is I have been buying, uh, <laughs> sort of unplanned, <laughs> you know, when I, I keep an eye on the used market and if something that I'm interested in is available and it's at a good price. I just dive in and get it and then figure out the rest later. Uh, so I purchased uh, the nine millimeter and the 15 millimeter delight and uh, um, decided I should sell some gear to put some money back into the bank. And then the other thing that kind of caught me by surprise is um, I have an 18 millimeter Pentax SMC ortho 0.965 inch um, outstanding eyepiece. It's one of my favorite, um, very comfortable to use pretty wide field given that it's an orthoscopic. Um, and you know how I've been talking about potentially getting a binocular viewer, but using oh, yeah. simple glass for a binocular viewer, I've been wanting a second 18 millimeter Pentax SMC. These yeah. things are no longer made. They're rare. They're hard to find and, and they're not cheap. 
Um, one became available. I jumped on it. Um, yeah, I paid fair market value for this one. Certainly no deal was had. Um, but yeah. again, uh, you know, that adds to my motivation to sell some gear. Um, cause usually the way I fund all of my purchases is mostly by selling some gear and, you know, through, through my lifetime in, in astronomy, I've, you know, bought and sold a lot of stuff. Um, you know, some stuff I keep, but, uh, you know, it's kind of fun to cycle through some of these things and, and, uh, add to the collection. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that is cool. That is cool. Yeah. I, I don't think I've looked through the 18 Pentax SMC. I've heard, uh, nothing but the best of those and, and would love to look through it one day. Yeah, well, you know what? So when I put together this 0.965 millimeter set, um, I've, I've kind of missed, like it's mostly Pentex SMCs. Uh, there's some Takahashi orthos and uh, I had a couple of Nikon orthos in there too. Mm -hmm. I put that together kind of like the winter before the pandemic. So like, I guess like about a year ago and um, we just haven't really observed because of the darn pandemic. Yeah. So um, yeah. anyway, hopefully this year uh, you'll get a chance to look through it. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I actually end up buying a few eyepieces this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was. So there's uh, an astronomy shop that that has gone out of business, and uh, they've been kind of gradually uh, making better and better sales. And uh, one thing I've I've often thought I'd like to have is is uh, a couple eyepieces for doing astronomy outreach because I, I do quite a bit of that. I I, I never used to do that much, so it didn't really matter as much for, you know, doing outreach a, a couple times a year. Well, heck, you know, I just put in my Pentax or whatever eyepieces and let people take take a whirl. But uh, as time got, has gone on, I, I do more and more public outreach, as you know. And uh, I thought I really should have like some dedicated eyepieces. Like I was observing once and I had like a really expensive eyepiece in and you know, someone comes up and they're like, where do I look in? And they like finger right on the glass. Like, you know what I mean? You're like, Oh, that's not good. <laughs> you know, it's kind of yeah. hard to, even in, even in the, uh, even in the darkness, I think they heard me uh, cringe. Um, <laughs> so I, I ended up buying a, a 35 millimeter, two inch Orion three element. I think it's some sort of Kellner design. It's a very basic eyepiece. I okay. got it for about uh, 40 bucks. Oh, nice. Uh, so half price or so. And then uh, I get a six millimeter, 66 degree uh, Skywatcher. Uh, and those tend to have a, a fairly good review. So, so they're wide. I think they have pretty good eye relief. Um, and both of them are pretty wide and pretty good eye relief. Might be a bit soft in the edge or whatever. But I think in my uh, F7 and a half, you know, like some people are saying, oh, the 35 millimeter at F5 isn't so great and even six is but I'm like okay well like my telescope's like f seven and a half and then my little refractor i often run at f ten and a half so i'm like i can use that they should be fine in that when i'm showing people clusters and the planets and all that and i kind of read and some people that were using them for like their own personal eyepieces they're like well eventually i upgraded or whatever but then there was lots of people who uh, who use these for their public outreach uh, and education purposes and uh so I'm, I'm actually happy to get those, although, you know, maybe I'm, I'm being too forward looking in this because we might not even get to do any public outreach this year. But anyway, uh, I'll have those in the, uh, in, in the case. And I think they're pretty light eyepieces too, so they can just, uh, they can just sit in there. So happy yeah. to have those. Yeah, that's awesome. It is nice to have uh, some eyepieces for public outreach because same thing, uh, you know, and you can't fault 
you know, uh, young children, they, no, not at all. They, they touch things, you know, that's how they learn. And I've definitely, I, I remember having my Leica zoom in, in the diagonal and, um, you know, first thing this, uh, I don't know, I think it was maybe a four-year-old did was, you know, put the fingers on the glass and, um, anyway, it's yeah. nice to have some, some other eyepieces that you can use. Yeah. Um, cause really, you know, like you said too, at F 7.5, most eyepieces are going to look pretty darn good. It's really yeah. what I've, what I want is just something that's easy to look through, you know, that doesn't like eye placement isn't too picky. Um, yeah. and then, you know, anybody that looks through it is, is probably going to enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and they're getting, I mean, really, and in fact, these eyepieces are totally fine eyepieces anyway, in the appropriate scope. And actually, I actually think my scopes are pretty appropriate for these eyepieces anyway. So, uh, you know, when I'm doing that, uh, should be pretty good. And then, yeah, like the other thing is, um, you know, I, I don't want to worry about them as much, you know, like sometimes we're, we're there and we've got like 300 people around us and, mm-hmm. you know, here, here I am like, you know, wandering around with, you know, uh, some pretty expensive eyepieces in, in my bag there. And, you know, it's kind of hard to sort of, you know, police your, your equipment, uh, in the dark like that, like someone could just reach in and grab an eyepiece and, you know, they might think they're just, you know, kind of as a joke, like making off with something that maybe is 10 or 15 bucks, but, uh, in reality, it's going to be a lot of heartbreak, you know? So yeah, yeah. anyway, not that that's ever happened, but, uh, these will sort of buy me a measure of, uh, mostly it's for the, uh, you know, for the fingerprints and that sort of thing. And then, then as well. So I'm not always carting around like expensive eyepieces, uh, everywhere, but anyway, it should be, should be good. And then the other thing, I think I mentioned I was ordering it and I did order the Burlaback Hydra two chair, um, should be here tomorrow. So that's exciting. Paid the import duty, which was exactly twice what I estimated. So no, <laughs> that's all right. It is, it is what it is. So, uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't inexpensive and it's kind of like getting an observing chair is kind of a little bit unexciting because it's like, I'm buying, a, I'm buying a chair that costs a lot of money basically. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like it's, it's sort of a, a thing. It's like going to be really nice to have. I've had observing chairs before and I like them and I use them, but they were always just ones that, uh, that just like friends made like in their shop. Like I had a friend make one out of an old two by four and a flag, like an old flagpole, like you would stick your open sign on kind of thing. And, you mm-hmm. know, eventually it, you know, it wasn't designed to last more than uh, five or six years. And after that point, it was kind of at the end of its life. So, so I'm excited to get a, a proper uh, observing chair and uh, certainly uh, improve my, improve the, the observing. Cause with, with the four inch and, and the, the gear that I have right now, it, it tends to ride a little bit lower. So, um, you know, I'll be happy. Yeah. Uh, Happy to have that. I think uh, I was chatting with uh, Mike. Speaking of sort of upgrades and that, he's he's upgrading that 15 inch Tektron. <laughs> yeah, when I read, did you that, hear that? Well, okay. just when I was reading the the notes that you had here uh, last night, uh, man, I'm excited for that. Uh, yeah, 15 inch. That you know, normally he has a 12 inch out there, and the 12 inch is really really fun to look through, but. You know, going up just, you know, three inches doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a big, big difference in surface area um, yeah. of the mirror. Like this thing will really soak up some, some photons and will show us some pretty cool views. Yeah. Now that that's exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm pretty excited about, about Mike getting this 15 inch, uh, kind of running again. And, uh, he said he was doing a few tweaks. The, the mirror cell, I think he said needed 
an adjustment and might need some new paint or something like that. But, but he was like actively working on it. So good thing, fingers crossed. Uh, that'd be pretty exciting. Um, thinking of, uh, reaching out to the organization that runs that little campground that we were chatting about and maybe mm-hmm. trying to, uh, to see what, what the story is there. It looks like they have an awful lot of lights in that little campground. I'm a little bit concerned about that, but, uh, maybe, maybe it can be sorted out. Who knows? Yeah. Um, there, there seems like they, they run on a shoestring budget. So, you know, it could be, could be a case of a hundred dollar donation goes a long way to getting lights turned off. It's be a double win for them not to have to turn the lights on and people are there that don't want the lights on. So they're paying for lights and maybe they get a hundred dollar donation or something, you know, be willing yeah. to, cause yeah. I don't, I don't know that they charge for camping there. So I think, I think it just strictly on a donation basis. So uh, they hmm. might be, they, you know, it's, it's just a private group of people that, that run it. So anyway, um, one of the advantages of living in Saskatchewan, just one of those little, little interesting things. Okay. Uh, my astronomy class is halfway over. Got some amazing images from people. I'm trying to chat with a couple of people about uh, trying to use them for some things. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens there, but like the images these, uh, these people have sent me are like amazing, like ridiculously good, really, really surprising. Like of like the horse head and, oh, wow. uh, you know, M42 and the rosette and, uh, like the flaming star and different, like, and lots of photos, like, and very, very impressive. Um, and it's, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like we live in a place without too many people and I'm like, how come I've ever heard of you guys before? But they kind of just, <laughs> they kind of just take their images and they're just like, oh yeah, no, they're just sort of playing around with it and stuff like that. But like, it's amazing what people are doing out there, like just in their backyards or whatever. But like, these would be, these would be images not out of place on the cover of a magazine, like in all seriousness, wow. like they are, they are that, that good, very, very good. So, and, and, you know, sometimes like sort of being away and isolated can be, advantageous because I think like maybe in a way, like maybe they're working away on them and they're just like, Oh, this is just for fun. And you know, whatever. And I'm sure they, they look at other people's photos and that, but like, they are like, as far as like sort of the local area goes, like, like these individuals are, are doing photos that are, uh, you know, the, the best around that I've ever seen anyway, <laughs> like they're really that good. So not, Gee, that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, not to say that other people haven't taken some some good photos around here, Shane. But these things are uh, they're 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 complicated setups too of somewhat dedicated imaging gear and and softwares mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So I think typically most people I've known around here that do it do it in, in more or less in conjunction with the visual observing and some other things, and um, they're sort of doing it as part of their astronomy, but. But these folks seem uh, dedicated just to the imaging for the most part, and it's uh, it it pays it it shows like it, these are these are really good astro imagers. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, the other thing I've been working on is TW Webb's discoveries, co-discoveries. I'm writing an article on that for the uh, RESC Journal. I think the RESC Journal is free to everybody now. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, like your, uh, gee, what was your article? Oh, on Mars observing and sketching. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, uh, I was interested in it. So I clicked the link because, you know, we get emails as club members to say, hey, there's a new journal. Mm. And then it said something about you no longer have to log in, which I thought was kind of neat. 
And yeah, then because that was always was, painful. Yeah, yeah. And now yep. it's just a public link. So I I actually tweeted out your article. Um, oh, great. Week, weeks ago. So ah, great. Um, Good. if anybody's interested, rask.ca, R-A-S-C, or check our Twitter timeline and it's somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, really neat as well. So yeah. Um, and, uh, I was chatting with, uh, Dave Chapman and he is, uh, the, uh, past observer's handbook editor and the observer's handbook is not free. And I did, I did someone out to, uh, to our, our handbook winner over in India and was, was chatting with the office on that. Um, so I've never sent anything to India before <laughs> and, and uh, I had to, I had to get professional help. I'll put it that way. Um, so we have, uh, we actually have a, I forget what they're called, but anyway, they're, they're a professional shipping company on retainer uh, with the RASC. And uh, so originally I like, cause I have an extra book here and originally I was just going to, I was just going to ship that myself at the post office. But, uh, but like here, like we live in a pretty small place and, I, I, I wasn't convinced it was going to get there. Mm-hmm. I just was like, I don't think that's going to arrive. <laughs> and so I decided to go back and just go to, uh, to our RASC office and they were very helpful. Took, took a little bit back and forth and then we uh, were able to, uh, to get it off. So uh, I'm not sure how long it will take a book to get to, uh, to India, but uh, should arrive there hopefully sometime before the RASC uh, 2021 handbook is out of date. <laughs> yeah, know. no kidding. So yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit of a thing. So I, I do have an extra, extra book. We'll have to figure out what to do with that now still. So, but uh, yeah, um, maybe I'll give it out to somebody in my class. I don't know. We'll, I'll, I'll sort it out. I can't, can't give away too many, too many of these uh, or the office will, will get mad. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, Dave is going to come on, I think, uh, next week, I think he's going to be chatting with us a week from now and, uh, super excited for that. Yeah. Well, he, he doesn't, I know you're excited because you saw the lunar X there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He doesn't really want to talk about that. that, That's fine. Like Dave's a great speaker and a very knowledgeable, uh, amateur astronomer. So I think uh, no matter what Dave wants to talk about, it's going to be a really good conversation and a, a great episode. Yeah, he's he's super interesting person, and uh, he, he's um, really been a mentor to me, and uh, and is going to come on and talk mostly about uh, the telescopes that he's had and used, and and why he's like those telescopes, and sort of bit of a spoiler alert. Dave's Dave's going to counter our our refractorism here with his reflectorism, and and perhaps why the <laughs> why the reflector is a superior <laughs> instrument over the refractor, or something like that. So I, you know, that's t- good. Uh, discourse is good. <laughs> tune in for the battle royale. All right. Anything else to add for this uh, episode, Shane? No, that is all I have, my friend. All right. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Bye.